name of Jesus, amen. Dear Christians, today's gospel lesson is one of those very, very familiar ones. And oftentimes it's called the parable of the prodigal son. But that particular naming of this text is only a human invention. And it doesn't tell us the whole truth about what today's gospel lesson is about. After all, in our parable for this morning, there are two sons, not just the prodigal one. And truth be told, this parable is really not about the sons at all. In fact, our desire for this parable to be about the sons is a result of our own sinful nature that wishes everything to be about us, that wishes to justify ourselves by comparing ourselves to others. The prodigal son was saved even though he had sinned so grievously. I should be fine then. But this parable is not about the sons, even though the bulk of the words describe their actions. This morning's parable is actually about the Father and his great love and mercy and grace. This morning's parable is about how the Father desires nothing more than that his two sons be alive, receive his gifts, and he rejoices when they're able. This morning's parable is all about the father who wishes his sons who were lost be found, who were dead be made alive. Yes, this morning's parable is about the love of the Father. But as I mentioned, the bulk of the words describe the action of the two sons. The young son, well, he wanders. He takes his inheritance due to him upon the death of his father and wastes it. As the gospel says, very kindly in reckless living. That means that he travels away to a far land. That means women, booze, gambling, licentiousness, and the like. The son blows through all that his father worked hard to give him in just a short time. But God, God the Father, still calls this young son to repentance. He makes the money run out. God sends a famine upon the land, all so that this son might have nothing left, that he might repent of his sin. The young son is beyond destitute. He's left feeding pigs in a field, desiring to kneel down next to them in the trough 
and eat their food. It's then that he comes to himself. It's then that he repents. He remembers the love and mercy and grace and care of his father. He knows that he would be better off as the lowest of servants in his father's house. He knows he's made a grave mistake. So he decides to go and beg forgiveness. But as he is far off on his way home, the father sees him. The father runs to him. The father displays love and mercy and grace and care and forgiveness before the son is even able to ask for it. Before the son can speak a word, he is welcomed home with open arms. Before he can confess, he is forgiven. He is clothed in the robes of his father. A feast is ordered. The son who was lost is found. And the love of his father, the grace of his father, covers over all his sin. He who was lost is found, the dead made alive, all by the grace and love and care of the Father. It's here then that we are introduced to the older son, the son who still has his inheritance, A double portion of it, in fact. A son who hasn't wandered, but who has continued in the love of his father this entire time. And this older son is angry with what the father has done. What did the father do to earn such anger? He showed love and grace and care and forgiveness to a sinner. And this infuriates the older son. Why should the father love the son that has wandered? Why should the father prepare a feast for the son who wandered? Why should the one who despised all the gifts his father gave him be welcomed back at all? It isn't fair. Older son doesn't understand. He's angry because he's unrepentant of his own sin, unaware of his own faults and his own shortcomings. There are none without sin. No, not one. And because the older son doesn't see how he also has been forgiven, how he also has received love and grace and care from his father, he's angry that the father would give the same to someone else. 
The older son doesn't understand that his father has mercy upon all of his children, that he gives grace generously to all his offspring. After all, the father has mercy upon those whom he chooses to have mercy upon. But in his unrepentance, the older son doesn't understand. He doesn't think it's fair. He doesn't think it's right. And so in his love and care and mercy, the father calls him to repentance also. He does it this way, saying, it is fitting or right or proper to celebrate. For your brother has been found. For your brother has been made alive. A call to repent. To acknowledge the love and care and mercy of the Father. That's where the parable ends. We never hear if the older son repents. Jesus does that on purpose because he's really asking that question to you. He's really begging you to repent in the very same way. You see, you too have a father, a heavenly father, who has shown to you mercy, grace, love, care, and forgiveness. Your heavenly father, as we confess in the small catechism, has given you everything that you need to support your body and life. He's given you clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and children, land and animals, all that you have. He's given you your body and soul, your eyes, your ears, your reason and your senses. He's given you everything that you have. And he loves you. He loves you beyond belief. He loves you so much that he created you out of nothing, knitting you together in your mother's womb. He spent your entire life trying to teach you his word to show you his love in every single way imaginable. And yet, like all children, you've sinned. You've sinned against your brothers and sisters. You've sinned against your heavenly Father. You've disregarded the word that he has sought to teach you. 
You've despised the gifts that he has given you. Maybe you've even acted like they weren't gifts at all. That you deserve them. That you've earned them. Maybe you've wasted them. Destroyed them. Cursed them. Maybe you've run away from God like the younger son and lived in reckless living. Maybe you've partaken in the great adultery of sin, joining yourself with false religions of politics, power, riches, Maybe even the greater God, at least in our society, of sports teams. Maybe you've wandered off from God. If so, repent. Return to your heavenly Father. Receive his love and grace and care and mercy. Be welcomed back with open arms. Maybe you've sinned even as you've been here in God's house. Secretly despising your father's generosity and love and forgiveness. Maybe you've looked across the sanctuary at another member of God's family and been angry. Why in the world are they here? Why are they dressed like that? Why are their children so noisy? Why aren't they paying attention? Maybe you've even looked across the sanctuary and said, how could that person think they could ever be forgiven after what they have done? They're a sinner. They deserve punishment. All the while, you haven't realized The same is true for you. Maybe you think God's grace shouldn't be there for others, even though it's there for you. Repent. Will you repent? Will you confess? Will you be forgiven? Whether you are the younger brother who's wandered off or the older brother who's despised God's love or both, repent. Repent of your sin. Repent of believing in yourself. Repent of all the wicked things that you've done. Repent of living like you were your own God. Repent of living for yourself. 
Repent of your sin, dear Christian. Because your heavenly Father desires to have mercy upon you. He desires to lavish his grace upon you, to pour out his love upon you, to celebrate with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven about your salvation. The Father desires to find you when you're lost, to make you alive when your sin kills you. Your Father is full of love and grace and care and forgiveness for you. In fact, your Father loves you so very much that he sent your own brother, Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, into this world to take all of your sin upon his own shoulders, all of your guilt away from you. God sent Jesus to the cross to die in your place, killing your sin once and for all. God shows his mercy upon you by killing his son, Jesus. God bestows all of his riches upon you. He adopts you into his family through baptismal waters. God loves you so much that he died for you in Jesus, promising that you will be raised on the last day, that your death will only be temporary, that you will live forever in his courts and kingdom because of what Christ has done for you. And God does this all for you by his love, his grace, his care, and his forgiveness. For you see, that's what today's parable is all about. The great love that our Heavenly Father has for His children, purchasing and winning them from sin, death, and the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with the holy, precious blood, innocent suffering and death of Jesus Christ. That's God the Father's love for you. This is love. This not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and given Jesus for us. Now, one last point about this particular text, dear Christians. One that we bring up because today is Father's Day. God the Father in our parable shows mercy, grace, and love to all of his children, to you. And in the, fifth, in the faith, in the very same way, fathers are to show the same mercy, grace, 
love and care to their own children. They are to act with the same measure to their own children as God their Father acts towards them. And dear fathers of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, the most important way to show grace and love and mercy and care to your children is to teach them about the love of their Heavenly Father. To teach them about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. To teach them the Christian faith. That is the most important task of a father, more important than teaching your child to fish or throw a football, more important than playing dress up with your child, more important than soccer or baseball or softball. Fathers teach their children the Christian faith. Fathers teach their children to live as Christians. Fathers bring their children to church to hear God's word, to be forgiven by their heavenly Father, to receive the gifts of Jesus. Fathers, this is your most important task. We here in the church seek to help you with that as well. That's one of the things we're doing with family Bible study in the format that we're currently following. Children have the opportunity to sit and watch their fathers hear God's Word, study God's Word, chew on God's Word, learning that's what fathers do, that it's important. It's not childish or simple, but important. Dear fathers, strive at this, even when it seems difficult. The child may eventually wander off. The child may sit in the pew and zone out for a time. It might look like there is no Christian faith. Keep on teaching it all the same. Keep on inviting. Keep on pointing to Christ, the demonstration of God the Father's love for all. And as we dads go about this difficult task, as we fail, as we make mistakes, we too are forgiven by the great love and mercy and care of our Heavenly Father. The forgiveness of Christ covers all sin after all. That's where we live and move and have our being. That's our hope. The parable of the 
prodigal son? No. The parable of the two sons? No. Today's gospel lesson is the parable of the loving father. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.